So I want to talk to you about somebody that's had my attention for, um, for a very long time. I was a child when I heard about Jesus, and um, I saw Jesus in people that were significant players in my life. Uh, maybe that's a little bit of your story, too. But for me, it was, a, um, it was a, not just my parents, as you would expect me to say, but it was other people that were uh, really meeting Jesus, and it, it caused a change in how they lived. It wasn't just a, a, a doctrine or a theology. It was a transforming piece of truth, a person, Jesus Christ. And I started to kind of take notes on their lives and think, you know, they got something, something for real there. Not one of them was perfect, I should tell you, but these are people that just seemed to kind of had, had some things settled in their soul. And I would, I would guess if I were to go back to the ones I'm thinking of right now and actually ask them this question, what made you so different? What made you so certain and confident and standout-ish? In, in the eyes of a little kid like me. And I think one, one after another they would say, because I belong to Jesus and he's coming back someday for me. Amen? I mean, I don't think they would just say I belong to Jesus. Some would. But they would say I get to be with Jesus. That's on my future calendar. Right? That's something that I am certain about and settled about. And uh, so today in this uh, continuing study that we've been part of for uh, nine, uh, eight months, uh, Moments with the Master, we're coming to the near the end of it and going to move on into a wonderful um, summer study called Voices from the Past, um, Minor Prophets with a Modern Message. So that'll be cool. It'll be really good. But today we get to talk about what impressed me so much by the lives I was referring to, uh, this Jesus. And uh, let me take you to uh, an impression you get anywhere you go in the Gospels. The impression is this. Jesus gathered huge crowds. People would come far and wide. I suspect some people would come to see a miracle with their own eyes. And I would do that too, by the way. If, if I knew the miracle worker, it's a song that we sing today, I, if I knew he was there that day, guess what, y'all? I'd get there early. And I would be in the front row. And I would be wanting to see with my own eyes what the Bible reports again and again in the four Gospels. I suspect, too, others would come to hear a message that would speak more than to their minds, it would connect with their souls. You know that kind of message, right? You don't need more information. You need something that comes and, and finds its way to the epicenter of you, your soul. And Jesus was known for that. In fact, huge crowds would come. And they came to take notes on what he had to say. One quick example I just want to point to. It's not where we're going to land this morning, but if uh, I point you to his standout, most famed sermon, what are you thinking? 
Sermon on the Mount, right? And it covers Matthew 5, 6, and 7, three chapters in Matthew's gospel. Maybe you knew this, but at the end of that sermon, we say today when he dropped the mic, when he was done, this is how Matthew described the stunned audience that was part of that crowd that day. Think of yourself right now and, and think of not me, but Jesus standing here. And he just finishes this three-chapter sermon. Matthew would have said this about you as well. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowd was amazed. So right now, drop your mask real quick and look amazed. Ready? One, two, three. Right? Exactly. You're getting it, all right? And you won't have to put it up again real soon, we hope. So anyway, um, but they, the crowd, Matthew's describing them, was amazed at his teaching, for he taught as one with standout authority. Not the kind of teaching they were used to. That of the scribes of the religious law in that day. Ooh. Ooh. In words we might have used um, if we had been there or if it had been preached today, we might have said things like, wow, that was an awesome message. Wow, talk about insight, we would say, and we would be correct in saying. It's just a little example of how Jesus gathered crowds um, Luke in his gospel, which is where we're going to spend our time this morning, Luke chapter 12 actually, but on your way to chapter 12, let me just kind of walk you along as you're turning there. Matthew, Mark, Luke, it's the third of four gospels that are the reliable information we go to for information when it came to Jesus and his ministry and his life. Now uh, there's other places in the Bible, but those are the, those are the, you know, sort of core teachings, in case you're new to all of this. And you find there this same narrative uh, repeating. Chapter 11, is, it starts out, one day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, hey, teach us to do what, what you just did and what John's uh, disciples are learning from him. We want to know how to pray. It's a pretty good thing to ask. Jesus, tell us how to pray. And so he goes into detail about how to pray. And you got to know uh, the, the 13 verses at the beginning of chapter 11. Read them sometime today. That's not where we're going to stop. But they're great teaching about prayer. Lots has been gained and gleaned from those words. And then right on the heels of that, look at verse 14, because the other thing I mentioned earlier, miracles, Sure enough, look at verse 14, chapter 11. Jesus was driving out a demon. This is right after he finished teaching about prayer. He was driving out a demon that was mute. Interesting. When the demon left, the man who had been mute spoke. Mute people don't speak. But when the demon disappeared, was cast out by Jesus, this mute man spoke. And I won't have you do it again, but the crowd was amazed. That's the kind of thing that Jesus did. But 
I should tell you not everyone shared that sentiment. Verse 15, sure enough, begins a description of a bunch of holdbacks. Look at me right now. This is a holdback. You just saw a man who hadn't spoken a word in your memory. Speak. And instead of going, wow, praise God. Man, you are, you're the miracle worker. They're like, for real? I know why he did that. He cast out that demon from the devil himself. What an idiot statement. What a foolish thought. But they hung with that thought all the way to verse 26. Jesus is, 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 is rebuking them. Um, and, and then he goes right into more teaching. And notice verse 29, how it begins. You would guess this, wouldn't you? But I'm calling your attention to it this morning because it, it has a lot to do with where we're going. As the crowds increased, so it gathered more and more people. They're looking into this person. And um, among them was a Pharisee who invited Jesus to lunch. And uh, that got a, attention all by itself. He's going to the house of a Pharisee? What's the deal there? Uh, even a greater uh, sort of reaction would be if he accepted an invitation to the house of a tax collector. They're dirty people, they thought in that day. People were watching him, and he goes to this, this luncheon with a Pharisee. And uh, the details of that are covered there. When he had finished speaking, verse 37, this Pharisee invites him. And instead of sitting down and beginning the meal, the Pharisee's watching him like a hawk. And he notices Jesus starts to eat without ceremonially washing his hands. Instead of being kind of, I don't know, what, what would you be if the one that taught like he taught and did miracles like he did accepted your invitation to lunch? Would you sit there and study and look for fault? Which, by the way, it wasn't even an old, it wasn't a, a teaching in the law. This was a man-made thing. And this, this Pharisee noticed it, causing Jesus to call him and all Pharisees like him then and now out. Five times in this passage, he, he calls them, he says to them, woe to you. Another translation says, what sorrow awaits you. You are, you're, remember that expression, you've strained the gnat and swallowed the camel? It's a great image, Right? You, you just, you're missing, it's adventures and missing the point. That's what Jesus was saying. You guys are missing it completely. So he calls them out in verse, what, 42, 43, woe to you, 44, woe to you, 40, uh, 40, let's see, 40, still something, anyway, further on. Seven. And then, of course, there's one in 53, right? So he's calling them out again and again. I said 53, 52. Not surprisingly, I know I'm hurrying because I want to get to the real fun stuff. They were deeply offended. They 
absolutely choked on his words. One of them, verse 45, an expert in the law answered him, Teacher, when you say these things, you're hurting our feelings. You can read it in your own Bible. You insult us all. Um, Let's just say that the meal ended before dessert was served. (laughs) All right, it it didn't go very well. And the chapter ends, verse 53, when Jesus went outside, the Pharisees and teachers of the law who were inside having lunch with him began to oppose him fiercely and to besiege him with questions for the purpose of catching him, snagging him, taking him down. All right. Um, outside, remember he's been at lunch, he's outside now. Look how chapter 12 begins because Luke wants us to notice this. Meanwhile, when a crowd of many thousands had gathered so that they were trampling one another, Jesus begins to speak first to his disciples and he goes into an extensive list of important topics. And I want to invite you to do the same. But the topic that tops all, in fact, I'm going to imagine right now, I almost brought a bell, you know, a, a cowbell. We used to bring one to our kids' games. And, and we didn't make a lot of friends from the people around us. <laughs> you know, but Jesus is talking about other things up to this point. More about hypocrisy, the Pharisees. Uh, more about the, the idea of fearing God, not man. That's, that's a great topic. This is all finishing out chapter 11. More about the folly of riches. Talk about relevant. That's why I keep enticing you. I'm hoping you're going to go home today and go, I'm going to read Luke 11 because pastor's going to talk about a, a, a big theme in Luke 12. I hope you'll do that. I really do. And then he's going to take up the issue that I... I'm guessing there's exceptions to this in my world, but the issue of worry. Anybody ever, ever struggle with worry? I mean, you know, some of you that didn't raise your hand, please see me afterwards. <laughs> I should explain that because I want to know your secret. I, uh, <laughs> um, plus, I'll also give you reasons to worry. But anyway, so relevant topics but then the cowbell hits and it picks up at verse 35 and it is a topic that has enormous appeal to his audience then and continues to this day to to capture seekers ever since if you're a seeker if you're wondering about is this all that there is to this world you're in the right spot today. Can I tell you what I read th- early this morning? I have no idea how I got there, but do you know that um, an asteroid hit Europe yesterday? Yeah, and it and it destroyed civilization from like Germany to the north all the way. I mean, just wiped out vast numbers of population. A single asteroid hit Europe in a... Um, in a uh, scientific 
guess at what would happen if a 450 feet in size meteor hit. It would devastate. And, and read it. It's really, it didn't happen, by the way. Relax. This is not Orson Welles. Okay, don't just put it, put it. Didn't really happen. But I, the headline said, Meteor Hits Europe. And I went, for real? It, it, it hit Europe. Um, and, and then I went on to discover that it's been a behind the curtain, a scientific kind of, uh, there was a movie like this one time where they were trying to guess what would you do if you knew a, it was on the trajectory and it's going to smash into, you know, earth. And I, I would ask, well, which city? For, no, I, no. I, anyway, it, it was, it's called a city killer um, asteroid. But here, why do I even bring that up? I have no idea, actually, no. Um, here, here's why, here's why. Because it didn't turn out well. Just one rock, one wayward rock. And you know what, what it made me think of? I, I'm reading Revelation right now. No wonder he's excited, right? Read Revelation 16 today. And one angel in a judgment of God causes the heavens to slam against earth. It isn't one little rock. My point is, all the science community said we would all die. In other words, we're little, we think we're going to change big things. We're, we're in over our heads. So, Jesus is talking about the biggest thing of all. And it's let me state it, and then we'll read it. It's stated in uh, one statement, I will return. Here's the question. Will you be ready? I will return. Will you? I've all week long been personalizing this. Will you be ready? So, Verse 35 begins this bell-ringing um, teaching. Be dressed ready for service and keep your lamps burning. These are Jesus' words. Like servants waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet, so that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. Truly, I tell you, he will dress himself, this is the returning master, will dress himself to serve them. He will have them recline at the table table, and will come and he will wait on them. Verse 38, it will be good for those servants whose master finds them ready even if he comes in the middle of the night or toward daybreak, somewhere three-ish in the morning or thereabouts. But understand this, if the, house of, if the owner of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Peter said, uh, Lord, you just expect him to say stuff like, Lord, are you, are you telling this parable for us or to everyone? Jesus, in his answer, tells us it's everyone. 
The Lord answered, Who then is the faithful and wise manager whom the master puts in charge of his servants to give them their food allowance at the proper time? It would be, it will be good for that servant whom the master finds doing when he returns. Truly I tell you, he will put him in charge of all of his possessions. But suppose the servant says to himself, hey, you know what? My master's taking a long time getting back. And, um, and then he begins to beat the other servants, both men and women, and to eat and drink and get drunk. The master of that servant will, will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour that he is not aware of. And he will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers. The servant who knows the master's will and does not get ready or does not do what the master wants will be beaten by many blows. But the one who does not know and does not deserve punishment and does deserve, um, let me back up. But the one who does not know and does things deserving punishment will be beaten with fewer blows. From everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who's been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. All right. Let me ask you a question. Do you have a sense of how much is said in the Bible about the return of Jesus? How many would say a lot or kind of very little? Not, okay, I see hands both ways, okay? Um, consider some of these statistics. The answer would be a great deal. Um, Swindoll has studied the frequency of all of this. One out of every 30 verses in the Bible has to do with Christ's return or the end of time. That's a lot. One out of every 30. Uh, in the New Testament, there are 30, uh, uh, 27 books, right? And there are 23 of those books of the New Testament deal with the return of Jesus. They address the return of Jesus. That's a lot. 23 of the 27. Here's another fact. Of the 216 chapters in the New Testament, that's how many there are, there are over 300 references to the return of Jesus. That's a lot. And then if you were to say, well, Pastor, how about the Old Testament? There's a lot of Bible still, right? And you would be correct. And you would quickly recognize names like Moses and, and David and Isaiah and Jeremiah and Daniel. And all of the minor prophets had a lot to say about the return of Jesus. You're going to hear some of that in the summer series that's coming up. Now, um, this passage, therefore, is not a standalone. Please don't walk away from this and go, well, he reached and scratched at and found his way to something like this. If you look at the bottom of your outline, you who are online can also see that. Just go back to the, uh, the host site, um, gracepointfamily.com, and you'll see sermon notes. At the bottom, there's a ton of passages that were part of 
shaping this message. Uh, and I do that every week. So you have further study options and opportunities. Okay, so um, it, it is one of the many passages, this Luke 12 that we're looking at. Um, Luke 21, Matthew 24, Mark 13, our so-called um, Olivet Discourse, where Jesus came out and gave detailed descriptions of answering the question, so what's the future look like, Jesus? You say all of it's going to end suddenly and all. What's, what's that look like? And he goes into tremendous detail in those uh, parallel passages. So you'll be sure and look that up, all right? But let's start where he started. I'm coming again. Who is the master in this story is important. That would be Jesus. He's the master. And <clears throat> uh, we know him as the son of man. He's referred to also in this section that we just read as the son of man. Uh, he, he's known throughout the Bible as the son of man. And it was a frequent reference that he used to himself. I, the son of man. So he is the master. The slaves or the steward are disciples and all followers of Jesus. We could get into nuances there, but essentially they're all followers. You might even say um, the master could be, some have said, pastors. And the, the slaves are the people that make up churches. But the bottom line is they're all included here. All right? They all have um, something to understand. The master then will be gone for a while. And this is really important. If you want to write a word down, please, um, it's everywhere in the Bible. The master will return unexpectedly. Okay? Now, the master's Jesus. The steward might be a pastor. The steward and servants, that's us. But the master will be gone for a while and then return unexpectedly. Look again at verse 40. You also must be ready because the Son of Man, Jesus speaking of himself, will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Look again at verse 46. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not, key word there, unexpected. It's not like, hey, yeah, you're just 10 minutes late. No, no, it's not on anybody's calendar. Many a fool have pounded a stake in the ground and said he's coming here I know it I guarantee I sell a lot of books and it doesn't happen they don't refund the books you get my point it's a fool's game but people have played it for a long long time there's fascination here the unexpected piece is something I want you to grasp not just because it's 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 something that stood out to me but Jesus makes it and the apostles Paul and Peter did. They talked extensively. I want to quote a couple of passages. Um, and, 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 and I bring them up because it's uh, this passage out of Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 5, was written, the human author, the Apostle Paul. It was only written in AD 51. If you do the quick math, that's less than 20 years after Jesus died and rose again and returned to heaven. So in under two decades, Paul is addressing some, some, A, great interest in the people. When is he coming back? 
It, we're not the only people, is my point, that have thought, when's he coming back? That started less than two decades after he went away the first time. Okay? But also there was confusion. Maybe he came back and we missed it. Maybe, maybe I didn't make the cut. What's the deal here? So these words from 1 Thessalonians 5. Now concerning how and when all of this will happen, dear brothers and sisters, you know quite well that the day of the Lord's return will come unexpectedly like a thief in the night. When people are saying everything's peaceful, everything's secure, stock market's up, the whole deal, then disaster will fall on them as suddenly as a pregnant woman's labor pains begin, and there will be no escape. But you aren't in the dark about these things, dear brothers and sisters, and you won't be surprised when the day of the Lord comes, he repeats himself, like a thief. Wow, take that image in. When you go to bed at night and then are suddenly woken up because somebody's breaking into your house, he's saying you're not going to be surprised like that because you're children of the day. Meaning you're paying attention. Or at least the assumption is that we are. Peter said similarly, but he spoke to some very unsettled followers of Jesus who were facing already severe suffering. He wrote 10 years later, 12 years later, in AD 63, still about 30 years from when Jesus died, rose again, and returned to heaven. This is what Peter had to say. I want to remind you, tell me if this isn't calming to hear this. I want to remind you that in the last days, scoffers will come, mocking the truth and following their own desires. They will say, what happened to the promise that Jesus is coming again? How many of you have ever heard that? Oh, man, I hear that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You Christians, man, you've been talking like that for a long time. And I'm like, you're right. But guess what? This is just 30 years after Jesus returned to heaven, and they were already talking like that, suggesting maybe the impatience of humanity is beyond belief, right? Um, so they will say, what happened to the promise that Jesus is coming again? There's, there's mockery in those, those words. From before the times of our ancestors, everything's remained the same since the world was first created. I'm quoting 2 Peter chapter 3. They deliberately forget that God made the heavens long ago not after um, mixing cement and all that goes into building something. Listen to this. By the word of his command, it came into being. And he, brought, and he brought the earth out from the water and surrounded the earth with water. Then he used the water later to destroy the ancient world with a mighty flood. And by the same word... The present heavens and earth have been stored up for fire. They're being kept for the day of judgment when ungodly people will be destroyed. But the day of the Lord will come. This is Peter now, not Paul and not Jesus. The day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief. 
Um, when I read those things, um, Jesus will return and his return will be unexpected like a thief. Um, it's a theme that we're supposed to get. John uses the same language in Revelation. You realize that? So we got Peter, or Paul, Peter, and John, and Jesus. It's a whole bunch of authors in the New Testament. Sources of truth. Um, <clears throat> I have to tell you something. When I read those words, uh, like a thief, um, I remember uh, a little boy uh, who was a school-age kid, and he was banned from the local stores. Um, there was a Safeway store and a sort of a variety store. And he was about uh, third grade, I think, fourth grade. And he was banned from those stores um, because he was a thief. And his dad sat him down and said, you are to stay away from these stores. You're not allowed to be in these stores. And the, the standard was clear. The, the dad's threat was real. And uh, consequences were mapped out. You know, things like um, restrictions for the rest of your life. You know, stuff like that. And, um, and this, this was clearly communicated. The expectations were clear. And the consequences were equally clear and, um, and unpleasant, okay? So um, time passed, and that child complied, understood the seriousness of the matter. And, um, and then overcome by temptation, um, I did what was forbidden. <laughs> I mean, the child did what was forbidden. And I found my way, I'm not even sure how I got there. It was out of body pretty, pretty much. But I found my way to this uh, variety store. And, <laughs> and guess who happened to be shopping that day? <laughs> it's just not fair. It's not fair. Um, I did not expect him to be there, but he was. And I did not expect him to remember the rules, but he did. And, and, may I say, I have never forgotten the results. <laughs> okay? So, Jesus said he will return. And the Bible repeatedly echoes this promise. So the only remaining question in the next five minutes, will you be ready? It's not a you thing, by the way. It's you and me. Will we be ready? Will I be ready? Um, that question is one everyone gets to answer. And can I tell you something? Please don't just answer it for, what are we, May 16th? Don't, don't. Do it again May 17th and 18th. 
and again and again daily. Here's the deal. If you're ready, it's going to result in great rewards. I think you heard the emphasis of my voice when I read this earlier. Because three different times, Jesus says, it will be good. Look, look, look back at them, see them for yourself. Verse 37, it will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. It will be good. That's a great reward is he's referring to here. Verse 38, it will be good for those servants whose master finds them ready. So we're, we're, we're watching, and if you're ready, that means you're waiting, right? So if you're watching, verse 37, if you're waiting, verse 38, and then drop further down to verse 43, the third time he says it, it will be good for that servant whom the master finds doing that's working so really it's it's he's saying it are you watching are you waiting and are you working they're in play here they really are in play here in fact the working one they weren't doing that in Thessalonica and so Paul later on rebuked them and said you guys You've gone to some holy hill and you're waiting out. You're having a big campfire and hoping he comes back today. And that's a dumb idea. Work, watch, wait, work, watch, wait, work. That's what gets the label, it will be good. Um. Because if you aren't ready, verse 45 and 47 really here is not a pretty picture you will receive a rebuke and judgment i have to read this in fairness equal time to the ones that are looking forward to reward 45 but suppose the servant says to himself hey no big deal my master's gone long time i know he told us he's coming back kind of like me and my dad right get out of that store and then he begins to beat the other servants. Can I just put a label to that? He begins to behave badly. Because it goes on to say, he, he eats and drinks and gets drunk. He lives a foolish, careless, reckless life. Who among us isn't tempted with that every day? That master of that servant is going to come on a day when he does not expect him at an hour, like me in that store, that he wasn't aware of, and he's going to cut him to pieces. My dad didn't do that, but it, I remember I told you I haven't forgotten the results. I just don't like variety stores. <laughs> no, I, I mean, I'm, I, yeah, I don't steal anymore. He will cut him in pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers. That's not good. And the servant who knows the master uh, his will and does not get ready, verse 47, does not do what his master wants him, will be beaten with many blows. Listen to me now. The apostle Peter makes a clear connection to these two points. Jesus will return, and we should be ready. His unforgettable words, this is Peter's unforgettable words in Second Peter chapter 3. Just listen to this. The day of the Lord will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire. People say, how's the world going to end? It ended by water, it's never going to happen again? Right there. 
This puppy smoked. We stopped fires last year, and they were serious and horrible. That was, that was a small campfire compared to how it's going to end, according to the Bible. The day of God will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire, and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, I don't know anybody that says, oh, I'll take my chances on that one. In keeping with his promise, we're looking forward to new heaven and new earth where righteousness dwells. So then, dear friends, since you're looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace in him. So we got stuff to do, is what he's saying here. He's coming again. That fact is established. I Maybe if you saw my earlier title and some of you are tuning in today because you heard coming again, you're thinking, he's going to tell us when. I don't know when. <laughs> um, so sorry to disappoint you, but the uncluttered truth is there's a very big bias in the Bible, and it's this. In light of the fact that he's coming again, how then shall I live Um, so that's the hard question I want to finish with. In fact, would you write some things down? Because they're questions. There's, they're questions for all of us to really ponder. Would you be surprised if it was today? Just put the word surprise with a question mark next to it in your notes. And go to lunch and talk about it. But I'd be surprised. If so, why? Why would I be surprised? Here's another one. Would, would I be um, ashamed? Embarrassed. Also, just question marks after those words. Please use the word. It's like me at that store. I was all the above. I was not expecting it, and I went, oh, good Lord, what happened here? What's he doing in my store? You know, I would just... Was, I was out of my mind. I'm like, oh, this did not. And I knew I'd been caught. I was embarrassed and I was ashamed and much more. Here, let me go broader than that. Would he be disappointed in any way by the way you're living today? If you're living with someone that's not your spouse, you're in a in a, in a relationship with somebody and you're living together without a wedding commitment, you answer the question. You think Jesus is okay with that? Come see me afterwards and I will not beat you up. I will simply let, I will give you God's word and you get to come to the conclusion, maybe this is a situation that might leave me ashamed and embarrassed. Um, does your daily habits and practice show that you are making every effort to be found living peaceful lives? We just quoted it from 2 Peter 3, verse 14. Peaceful lives that are pure and blameless. Um, I, I want to suggest that we evaluate every part of our life with the belief that he will return. And, and the right question to ask is, will he like what he sees in my life? 
Let me go. I'd like you to bow your heads with me this morning. And Jesus, I want to pray right now to one that is longing for us to settle the question, who's, who's in the director's chair? Every one of us has a chair that's inside our lives. It's a chair for one person and only one person. Some of us are on that director's chair. We call the shots. We make the decisions. But Lord Jesus, you have said it again and again and again. Follow me. I belong in that chair, the director's chair of your life. So I can direct your life. And so Jesus, um, can I just say I really want you to come back soon. As they said in New Testament times, Maranatha, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Our world is hurting. Our world is broken. Some of us say it's not fixable. And the truth is, uh, you don't fix things against people's will. And there doesn't seem to be widespread interest in us saying, God, we've messed this thing up. Please, in repentance, help us fix it up. So if the next step from here is truly your return, and you've said, it will happen unexpectedly. Then I don't want to be surprised. And I want to say, come quickly, Lord Jesus. If I do dumb things, Lord, help me to quickly clean up my mess so I can get back quickly to ready for you to return. If I sin and bring reproach to you and shame the name, Please, Lord Jesus, cause me to repent right away so that you can restore me to ready by your grace. If you've not surrendered your soul to Jesus Christ, will you hear me now? Do it now because you're not ready for him to return. Because the Bible insists on this, there will not be a mulligan. There will not be another chance. Today is that day that you must decide. Meanwhile, help us, Lord, as your servants to be dressed and ready to run to the door because we actually are listening for and heard your knock. And help us to be watching and waiting and working. Finally, Lord, I just pray that we would live our lives in such a way that we will see you on that day with a smile. We respond to you now in worship because you are the director that deserves it.